The Old Testament reading is from Lamentations 319 through 26 and can be found on page 823 in your pew Bible. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gale. I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this is this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. For I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The New Testament reading this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 14 and can be found on page 1197 in your pew Bibles. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as day and night I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. Still feel like I'm recovering from that baptism. That was, <laughs> shake that out a little bit, but it's never fun making kids cry. Uh, sometimes it's a little fun. I mean, it depends, <laughs> it depends but uh let's pray um, 
God, you are uh, so good. Your love is in this place. Your love extends through all creation. And you have given us uh, this wonderful gift, this wonderful uh, treasure, as some translations put it, of the knowledge of your love all around us and in us. And Lord, you uh, call us as a people to pass uh, that wonderful knowledge, that wonderful treasure on to the next generation. Uh, God, teach us how to do that well. As we look at Second Timothy a little bit more today, uh, show us the ways that we can love as you love us. Uh, for your glory, for our sake, and for the sake of the world. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm going to try not to talk for too long. Uh, I'm going to try uh, because we've got our baptism here. And uh, like Jen mentioned, we get to celebrate World Communion Sunday and uh, share in this feast so a full day here today, uh, but I thought since, since we uh, got to baptize the Cogswell twins and since our text today, the lectionary text comes from 2 Timothy, uh, it would be a fitting time for us to reflect a little bit about the vows that we make uh, when we baptize children in our church. Uh, the vows that you all made uh, just a few moments ago. Uh, when I had you stand and said, Sherman Street Church and family of friends of this family, do you promise to receive these children in love, to pray for them, to help instruct them in the faith, and encourage and, encourage and sustain them in the fellowship of believers? Uh, to which you all responded, we do. God helping us. We do, God helping us. That God helping us is such an important part of that because uh, anyone who's been a parent for even a little bit of time knows uh, what a daunting task it is uh, to raise kids in the Christian faith in today's world and to be the kinds of people who embody, to be the kind of church that embodies well and faithfully the love of God. It's been said that Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. And I tried to kind of do the math. I was thinking, okay, it's been about 2,000 years since uh, Jesus walked the earth and the Christian faith began. If you count uh, God's people before that in Israel, it of course goes a lot longer. But uh, if you think even 20 years a generation, uh, we're talking about, let's see if I can do the math here on the fly, uh, five generations every hundred years uh, over 20 centuries, over a hundred generations, and hundreds of generations if we look at Israel as God's people, who have passed on the torch of faith. Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. And of course, we have God's promise that God will preserve a remnant 
But the knowledge of God's love, the existence of the church, of churches that live into the knowledge of God's love, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, of the knowledge that human beings are made in the image of God, every human being, that the way of Jesus is the way of peace, not of violence. And answers to all the questions about what it means to be human and what is most important in life, what makes a person valuable. All of this is not a given. The gospel, the good news, the pattern of sound teaching, as Paul puts it in this chapter, needs to be passed on from generation to generation. And so this morning I thought uh, I would just kind of reflect on a few of the people who have shaped me. This kind of caused me to step back this week and to think about my own spiritual formation uh, and the people who taught me most vividly and deeply about the love of God. And, you know, something I noticed that was interesting as I reflected on this was how... uh, The people that first came to my mind, the people that I think most impacted my own knowledge of God's love for me, who taught me to know Jesus Christ, uh, were not necessarily the people who were my my teachers uh, in in a didactic sort of way. I mean, certainly uh, a big part of my formation has been through books and classroom learning and, you know, Catholic Sunday school growing up. Uh, And all that was important uh, and is such a big part of passing on the Christian faith. But but I I find at least as important was the, the people who have come alongside me at various moments in my own journey and who have both radically loved me with the love of God and who have modeled the faith for me. Paul says to Timothy, uh, he says, you've heard from me, what you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith, with love in Christ Jesus. And again, I think there's, there's two sides of that. There's the pattern of sound teaching. We, we need to pass on doctrine. We keep doing the Heidelberg Catechism, and we, we need to teach the scriptures. We need to teach the stories of faith. I, I don't want to downplay that at all. But at the same time, at least as important, is not just the pattern of sound teaching, but in Paul's words, the life of faith, the life of love in Christ Jesus. Because the Christian faith, the the good news, this gospel that we pass on is in its essence relational. Because the God that we worship, that we teach our children to love is a relational God. Some of my uh, earliest memories of my 
my mother that came to mind this this week uh our memories of coming downstairs in the morning and seeing my mom sitting in our house wherever she could find sunlight uh she loves to my mom loves the sunshine she she will lay out and tan all day if uh if even if it's like mild weather uh, but even in the winter she would find a sunny window and I have these memories of her opening her her well-worn bible with its you know zip up little bible study case and it was always packed full of flyers and she always had notations written in the side and would highlight things and she would usually have another book open a commentary or uh, even even though my mom uh, didn't finish college and uh, is not a scholar she has modeled for me throughout my life a deep love for God's word and even uh, when we're back in Wisconsin visiting it's not uncommon to still see her already awake when I get up in the morning with her Bible laid out and uh, sitting in the sunshine, basking in the glory of creation and the glory of God's word. And I think about all the ways that uh, the, the people in my life who has mo- have modeled the faith for me have, have passed on. You know how you pick up kind of quirks and ticks and habits. I think of the way that uh, that my mom, when she prays, will usually leave five or six seconds of quiet to settle herself. And I've noticed that that's, that's a habit that I've picked up in my own prayer life, that I need that moment, those few beats, to settle myself in God's presence before I pray. And I've noticed the ways that I pray that I, I, I pray like my mom with this deep familiarity with Jesus. She prays in a way that's not formal, that's not up to God up in a throne in heaven, but she prays to a Jesus that she knows and walks alongside. And all that, I, I'm just now coming to appreciate how much that communicates the good good theology about who God is. I think about uh, my pastor growing up, Stuart Briscoe, and how he always used the benediction, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, and how I've taken that on as my own benediction, uh, that just as I took my first steps into guest preaching as a seminary student and then became a pastor, that that just felt familiar and fitting for me. Or uh, my pastor and mentor, Jack Rhoda, who's interim pastor here four or five years ago, how I picked up from him his phrase, dear friends of Jesus Christ, that he for years and years would begin every sermon with and how that's become a natural way to begin worship or to greet people in my own speech, in my own faith. I think about uh, a professor that mentored me in seminary, Don Lewis, he's the academic uh, dean of our school and uh, a history professor. And he's, 
he, he passed away last summer unexpectedly. Jen talked about him in, in one sermon last year. If you remember her talking about a funeral where there were hundreds of people who, someone described it as a reverse scandal where all these stories of the, the fruit of his ministry kind of came out at, at his funeral. How he shaped so many of us through a ministry of coming alongside us and uh, Literally, in my seminary years, as I was going through all sorts of drama in my dating relationship with Jen, trying to figure out if we should get married or not, we were on and off again for a while. And he was a, a friend. He was more than just a mentor. He was uh, deeper than that. He was a friend who came alongside me in the journey and who uh, taught me about the love of God perhaps more than anyone else in my life, through his love for me. And he, I did most of the talking, you know, I was this 20-something anxious, blah, 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 I don't know what I should do, there's this side and there's this side, and he would just listen, and he, he wouldn't give me advice, he wouldn't solve my problems, he wouldn't tell me what to do, he would listen, and he would let himself empathize and feel something of what I was feeling and then he would say, let's pray together, my friend. And he would sit next to me sometimes in a park in Vancouver, British Columbia, and, uh, and we would pray together. And he taught me to linger in God's presence. He taught me how to pray. It wasn't this kind of, you pray first or I'll pray first and then the other one prays. But it was just kind of, we would just pray and then back and forth and leave space for silence. And he would, he would often groan as, uh, with this just kind of delight and lingering in God's presence. And that groan of Don Lewis is something I've noticed I've taken on in my own prayers. As I sometimes, in my own pastoral care, linger in God's presence with people and just mm, kind of delight in the goodness of sitting together before the Lord. Or I think of... Uh, a, a present-day mentor in my life, Victoria Gibbs, who uh, some of you know, she's an African-American woman who consults with our anti-racism team. She's the executive director of CORE, Congregations Organizing for Racial Equity. She's committed her life uh, and done this for decades to working in churches uh, to break down the, the legacy, the evil of white supremacy and to lead us into racial reconciliation as Christians. And uh, she's teaching me through her leadership often in our anti-racism team meetings, how in a meeting to, to stop sometimes and to ask the question of our team, does anybody here feel a prompting from the Holy Spirit as to which way we should go at this point. And that's something that, you know, she's teaching me as a sort of leadership quality of, I, I can think of that as, as, oh, that's something that I can do as a pastor. That's a skill, that's a, a maneuver, that's something I can, I can use that. Uh, but more than that, she's discipling me. She's, she's shaping me in the faith and teaching me not just as a pastor and leader, but as a Christian, how to pause and ground ourselves, to, to allow ourselves to become in step again with the Spirit, 
in each moment. These are the ways that disciples are made. These are the ways that we pass on the faith to the next generation. And it happens through these big ways. It happens through through long-term mentorship of pastors and uh, Bible study leaders and parents. I think of, uh, in this passage, Paul says to young Timothy, I thank God every day for your sincere faith, which a lot of older translations call your unfeigned faith. This, this real, alive, genuine, deep, heartfelt faith, Timothy, that exists in you, that Paul says, that was the faith of your grandmother, Lois, and was the faith of your mother, Eunice. And now I am convinced, Paul says, it lives in you, Timothy. Faith is passed down through families, but faith is passed down through the church. And not just what happens in Sunday school and in worship. Of course, that's, that's huge. Those are the obvious things right before us. But it's also passed on through uh, all the, the millions of little ways that our kids learn that they belong here through things like the ministry of serving coffee and cookies on Sunday mornings. Our, uh, our kids were, uh, our girls are homesick. They've got coughs this morning, and uh, we were going to have Oscar stay home with them. But he wanted to come to church, and our kids love coming to church. And uh, that's not true every week, and I know that won't always be true. Uh, there's a, a certain health to sometimes kids and the adolescent process of differentiation and a, a, a sort of separation from parents that has to happen. But I think a part of teaching kids about the love of God and the goodness of Christian fellowship and the joy of the Christian life is kids getting cookies on Sunday mornings. And, uh, and these things are important. We all, it says in our bulletin today, we weren't going to have coffee and cookies today because we, as a staff, we've been struggling to find volunteers for things. And I'll... I'll stick a little announcement in here real quick there's a volunteer sign up for lots of ways that you can serve in the church including coffee servers and i was doing a run through the sermon uh this weekend with some people and paul and chris booth said we can serve coffee on sunday because we weren't going to have that today uh, but all these little things uh they matter setting up and tearing down for events cleaning the church there's some people who come on wednesday mornings now some retired guys, and they have coffee together, and then they fix things and change light bulbs around the building, and nursery, holding bait, all of these things. Uh, sometimes the really mundane things that just need to be done. Someone's got to print the bulletins, and somebody's got to set up for communion. All of it plays a part and passing on the faith. Paul says to young Timothy, fan the flame within you. 
with the help of the Holy Spirit. This isn't work we do alone. It's all, thanks be to God, done in cooperation with the Spirit. It's done by the grace of God. But through all of it, God takes our small acts of service and the conversations and the Bible studies we lead. And and trust me, all these people who shape my faith are, are not perfect people. My mom's not a perfect mom. But God takes all of it and uses it by God's grace to teach each new generation about the radical love of God, the good news of the grace we have in Jesus Christ. I want to close just by uh, pointing our gaze towards, uh, towards, again, what this says about the nature of God. That, uh, the, again, this point that faith is passed on through relationship, uh, that, that this is because our God is a God of relationship. We teach about the love of God. We pass on the good news of the love of God through our acts of love because we worship a God of love. And I just want to highlight uh, the deep pathos that exists in uh, this letter that Paul writes to Timothy. Uh, This is one of my favorite documents in the in the bible and uh one of the reasons is because it's such a personal letter that paul is writing uh, you may or may not be aware of this he's writing at the end of his life it's his last letter his final words what will paul say put down on parchment is his parting words to timothy and the church And he chooses to write this deeply personal letter to Timothy. He's aware that he's going to die. At the end of this letter, he he talks about how he's about to be poured out like a drink offering. He says, "I've, I've run the race. I've fought the good fight. He knows he's about to be martyred, about to be executed for the faith. And all around him throughout the letter, he's talking about people who had deserted him. Uh, And he's calling Timothy to a renewed faithfulness in God and in the work of the gospel. And he writes this deeply personal letter to Timothy, my dear son, that's just overflowing with with love, that shows us that the depth of the care and compassion and love and relationship that exists between Paul and Timothy. He mentions how their last goodbye was full of tears and how he longs, he thinks, every day of being reunited with young Timothy, that his joy might be restored, how he prays for him daily. It's such a different picture uh, than the way that I was taught to relate to other men. Of, you know, we, we stay emotionally cut off from each other. We maybe hug and pat each other exactly three times on the, the back. And if we say anything like, I love you, it's always more of a, I love you, man, and, and never making eye contact. Uh, and here, Paul is just, his final words are a love letter 
to young Timothy, reminding him of the deep love of the God we serve. May that be what we communicate to each other, to the next generation, and to the world. Let's pray. God of love, Lord, fan into flame each of our own torches that burn for you, some of which uh, are robust these days and some of which perhaps feel like just a small flicker. Fan us into flame. Fan this church into flame, not just for our sake, but the sake for the sake of all these children that are bursting uh, at the seams of this church, that they too may know the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord that we may know it, that they may know it, that the world may know it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.